Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, what's the difference between me and you? You, you. What's the difference between me and you? You, you. Uh, what's the difference between real and fake? What's the difference between love and hate? Cause most opinions are different and let me be more specific Before you answer that in your head let this marinate Saying you real but love jacking people for bricks and chips And then when it happens to you, you look at them like you ready to retaliate on the people that did it And you in the same business that you got yourself in And that's like a pure jealousy and hate cause you love to do it But think nobody else will, that's why it's all it in my head to do the things that I feel That's more important to getting a gorgeous woman Or flossing or having paper so long If it feels you would get lost And I'm trying to grab right by the head And stun the game like the Austin Cause nowadays it's rarely seen from CMC To do that quite often So I sit back and enjoy life for every day that I breathe And do this music till it's time for me to leave You know you talk about some flashy Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
What's good, family? What's good, family? What's good, family? Okay, okay, okay. Before we get started, man, you know how we have to do like we do every time we do what we do. Got to give peace to the gods, man. Shouts out to all of the ancestors that came before us. So we going to do it like this, man. Assalamu alaikum to the nation. Islam to all my moors. Hotep, Alafia. Shalom. To all my people of the melanated family, man, you are family if you have a, a drop of melanin in your in your blood, man. So shouts out to my human family, the melanated family, uh, our, our people. You know who we talking about. No disrespect to nobody else. I'm just letting you know that we love ourselves. So said all that to say this, man, it's hump day. I was blessed to get back to the city safe and sound. So uh, big ups to that. From safe travels and safe passages. Been the shower, man. Was up in the shower with my empress. We was doing our thing, making some big boy moves, making some power moves. So did all that to come back so I can get y'all together, man. So I got a guest speaker on the show today. It's gonna be a guest speaker giving you some game about the difference between public versus private. And we're talking about status. So anybody in there in our uh on the line, on the blog talk radio line, on the call line or whatever, if you're interested in the information that I'm about to give you, I won't be giving you the information directly myself today. I got an expert on the issue. Um it's a group. They're called uh the UB Freedom Team, and I'm gonna let them explain today for you this process and what it all entails and how you could benefit from it by um, freeing yourself basically and coming out of the public sector into the private sector. I know a lot of y'all hear people mention uh, this is done in the private sector. So we're going to get into that today so we can explain to you what the private sector is about and how you can get involved in the private sector. Now, I am going to leave this live up just for about five minutes or so, and then after uh, the co-host gets into the information, I may shut this down. So if I do shut the live off, the Facebook live off, make sure y'all click on the link. It's two links right there. It's uh, Wealth Principles one-on-one online radio. Um, It's also on iTunes, iPod. Just pull up Wealth Principles one-on-one, or you can call in with your cell phone. That's the best bet. Call in with your cell phone, the 657-383-1528, and you can listen in and get this information. You also can kind of chime in at the end if you got any questions. So I'm going to turn the lecture over today over to the UB Freedom Team, um, and they're going to explain to you the difference between public versus private and the advantages and the hidden, hidden power behind knowing the difference between the two and how to navigate and move about in the public sector and in the private sector. So I hope y'all get some information, take some notes, because all this information is going to be pretty important to those that want to take advantage of it. So having said that, we're going to jump into the information. I hope everybody uh, got their minds right, because it's going to be a lot of information. So take some notes. And I'll be back to holler at y'all at the end of the broadcast. So everybody on Facebook, man, this is a quick, short message to let you know I'm giving you time to click over 
to the link and get some of this information. Uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Wealth Principles 101 or call in at 657-383-1528. I'm fresh from the shot, man. I'm, I'm so pumped up right now. I got so much information to break down to y'all. But today, I'm going to let my co-host give y'all this game. So y'all take the information, man, get it in, and I'm going to let a little bit of this play on Facebook Live, and then we're going to kill the live. And y'all go ahead and click on to the link and jump back in or just jump back in right now so y'all can get the game. So here we go. Welcome to tonight's webinar. The webinar uh, was partially set up uh, in cooperation with um, Glenn Whittingham, House of Firm, and he's on the line with me now. So I'm just going to get him to say a few words about this. He's got a number of his people that uh, are being introduced to this through the webinar. So uh, Glenn, if you just want to say hi and, and uh, introduce whatever you want to introduce. Yes, um, <clears throat> I um, met um, JD. We'll call him JD. He'll explain why. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, I met him uh, was about a month or two ago in uh, Vancouver, um, and um, he had this uh, privateperson.com website. And um, I've always, you know, said to stay away from the idea of being a person. And uh, although technically the, the court citations that I read basically say that uh, that uh, 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 a sovereign's not a person as far as a statute is concerned, which is very complimentary to his website. He's got some great material um, about this private person, uh, and I've actually started to incorporate it into my uh, my material. And so I would uh, highly recommend that everybody take a look at this because. Um, this, uh, you know, the courts operate in the fiction, and 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 if you don't go in there as a person, they won't even recognize you, and uh, so you have to. There's got to be a way of going in there as a person, um, and yet not be subject to some statute at common law, essentially, and uh, and this allows that. And so uh, I'll uh, turn the time back over to JD, and uh, and uh, he'll go through and explain this a lot better for you. Okay, thanks. Uh, yeah, the, the main reason that I wanted to do this, I do have an intro to a private person on the website already. Uh, it was one I just recorded on my desktop, and I wanted to revisit the whole concept as an introductory concept, very simplified to two main issues. The fact that person isn't necessarily always a bad thing, and the existence of the term private person, what it is in law, how it works, and how we might want to revisit it, because so many people literally around the world who are studying this information have avoided the use of the word person entirely. And I think that's to our detriment. So my goal here, as I'll get into, is uh, to revisit that concept with everybody. Before we get started, I've got a couple of polls, which are question and answer I'd like you to participate in during the, during the webinar here. Um, the first one is uh, just about to show up on your screen. You have uh, a question and then uh, you have uh, four potential answers. And if you can just have a look at that and click on the answer that uh, suits you right now, what is your personal belief uh, about it? And uh, just click on that in terms of your understanding of the word person right now. I'll cut it off there, 75% of you have voted. I'm gonna share the results so that you can see it on your screen. 13% of you right now have a belief that it's danger, danger, avoid. And I understand that. I get that. There's so many people teaching that's uh, the way it is. And that's, uh, it's great that you're here to listen to it again and revisit it and, uh, and reconsider it at least. 
29%. I'm not a person you can't make me. <laughs> Again, just slightly this side of danger, danger, avoid. Um, and I think there's some crossover with the human rights people are teaching about. So I'm a human being and I'm a man on the land and all that sort of stuff. Uh, there's some crossover beliefs into that. What's the big deal? 10%. Um, again, uh, not as many there. 56. I choose always to be a private person. Well, that's pretty good, which means a lot of you have visited the site and uh, maybe have done your own research as well. So uh, thanks for participating in that. That's great. We'll have a couple more of those um, going on and uh, later on in the, in the webinar. So just a, a brief introduction. Uh, many of you aren't familiar uh, with me. I've been teaching this type of material for over a decade now in the Vancouver area and uh, across Canada to uh, a lot of people. But um, when I get introduced to another, another teacher of material, I obviously get introduced to a new, new group of people who aren't familiar with me. And I use man throughout the presentation, so if there are any uh, women uh, online and listening on the replay, it's a generic term. And this is one of the key principles we need to consider, is that we're not going to argue about any words at the moment. We're looking at the spirit or the principle behind the word, rather than the legal world's interpretation of it, which most people believe is the only one that we're bound to, etc. And that's not necessarily the case, so it's a good thing to reconsider that whole concept. Words mean what we intend and agree them to mean. So when I use a word, I have my own definition, my own understanding, and just like in a contract where you have a word definition section or in statutes, you have a word definition section, the parties who are talking about it need to agree on the meaning of the words. And that's a, a valuable principle to consider. So who is JD? Some guy who likes privacy and he is no guru. I um, am not going public with my name. The system knows entirely who I am. They've been on my case for over a decade now. Uh, it's not a matter of hiding from the system, it's just I don't want to be uh, out in the public uh, at, at this point anyway. Uh, lifelong entrepreneur, student, facilitator, done a lot of teaching and instructing in various types of uh, training. Uh, I've had over five years of my own personal court experiences going into the Provincial Court of British Columbia, Supreme Court of British Columbia, um, D.C. Court of Appeal. I've watched court cases go on for over 14 years, um, 22 years of uh, material study on a variety of freedom info. Uh, personal development, etc. And DE um, uh, is an AKA, and it, for me, it represents the, the name John Doe. And John Doe is the name that is a label given to one with no name. So when the system doesn't know your name, they label that individual John Doe. So I like that type of association because I really don't want to be recognized by their particular system. And I'm sharing my personal experience and opinion only. Um, there is no legal advice. It's just my research uh, and my understanding and interpretation of what I've researched. And it's also my personal observations through reading uh, case law, through uh, watching judges in court, talking to lawyers, uh, watching, watching and listening to lots and lots of researchers out there. Just to give you an idea, this is just a list of some of the researchers that I've studied over the years and when I say study I'm not just saying watch once I've watched uh, hours of their material done confirmations and many of them I've had uh, personal conversations with and so on uh, there's so many sources of information that uh, you can spend a whole lot of time my goal with my research is to take whatever I've learned from wherever and try and condense it down to the principles the key ideas so that we're not spending time arguing about details but the basic concept of the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. Okay, if you if you don't mind, I'm gonna jump in right there. Now, 
let me let my listeners know what's going on before we get into this. So, any of you guys that are listening in right now to Blog Talk Radio, we're about to uh, kill the, the Facebook Live, and we're just going to go with the, the, the co-host for the rest of this part of the program. So, if you're on Facebook Live, go ahead and click on the link or call in to be live on the show at 657-383-1528. I'm about to kill the Facebook Live, and we're going to get back into the information. So, everybody on Facebook Live, y'all go over and check it out, and we're going to get back into the information. Now, question I have for you before you get back into the information. <clears throat> for those that have just got on the call or just got on the air, we're discussing the difference between public versus private, and we're talking about the person and his status. So... A lot of you guys been asking about information about how to do some things to uh, better your situation or to actually uh, be recognized in the human family. This is the information that you've been asking for. So this is the information we're going to get today on blogtalkradio.com. Check it out, man. Let me know how you think about the information and we're going to get back with y'all. So I'm going to turn it back over to the host. And I'm looking at the spirit of the law, which is not the way the system presently functions. It doesn't mean that that's not the way it can't function if we actually uh, learn how to operate the system correctly. My studies to date so far. The basic premise that I'm going to be covering today in terms of um, my conclusions that I've already made to that I want to put out there, that this is the direction I'm going with the information I'm going to cover tonight. So it's um, uh, kind of laying a bit of a background on the perspective I bring to the, the details that we're going to be covering here. Now, the common law protects you already. We, I live in common law British Columbia and common law Canada, except work for Quebec, which is uh, civil law. So the basic foundation of common law is there. It's recognized throughout the law. The judges speak to it all the time. You can find it referred over and over and over throughout uh, uh, all legal um, materials. And many people go, well, it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. They don't recognize it. Well, they do. They don't play the game that way right now, but they do recognize it because they have to. It's the foundation. The foundation is sound, but has been taken over, covered up, and hidden from sight. They don't want you in common law, and they're doing everything they can to keep you out of it. They're hiding it from you. They'll play games with you. They'll trick you, etc. cetera, um, because a duplicate mirror world of law exists. They have created something that looks like a proper legal system, but is not. So when I walked into court the first time, I assumed I was going to be treated honorably. I assumed I was going to be dealing with common law because that was my understanding of the law. And uh, they're playing a whole different game and they don't tell you. So they've created this whole second reality, which they invite us to come into without our knowledge and understanding. And they manipulate us with the uh, assumed consent of it. So we need to know the why and how of the common law system as it's supposed to be working. I think we intuitively understand it and the why and how of how they trick us into it. Now remember, this is an intro, so I'm going to be covering some basic stuff, but the material I'm covering as I go through it is going to, again, put a twist possibly on your understanding that you've had until now. You really are the power when you are in honor. And... That is, again, the foundation of law is that it's, it's the man, the private person, that is the power in law. And we have uh, 
the opportunity to exist that power when we deal with the system in an honorable fashion and we recognize our power in it and we hold them to account to it. But we need to understand what that power is. Hold those manipulating the law to account for their manipulation. At some point in time, this is where we need to go. This is the process that needs to happen is that there needs to be accountability. And there is accountability coming into the system slowly, slowly, slowly in places you can see it. Um, and that they self-fear. When you point it out, they will hold themselves to account. And it, it just has to be pointed out to them in a way where they are you know, going to hold themselves to account. So my basic premise is that private person is the high status that you want to claim. Now, you don't have to agree with me now. That's not the point. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I just want you to revisit this concept if you haven't, introduce you to it if you haven't been exposed to it, do your investigation, do your research, and if you decide that that makes sense to you after you've convinced yourself, then wonderful. And if not, that's wonderful too. But this is the co conclusion that I have come to, all right? Now, <clears throat> my goal here, like I said, is to reconsider person as a legal concept because that is a big part of how their game is structured and introduce private private person as the primary person of power in law. The private person must exist first for any other person to exist in law because every other person is a derivative of the private person is part of my conclusion. The whole stance that people have with regards to the fact that I'm not a person, again, I understand that and I had my own questions based on all the material out there for a long time but the very first thing that i did when i went to court uh, i was charged with failing to comply with the notice to file my taxes in 1998 and the very first question i asked was with regards to status and the capitus of the name of the summons and uh, we you know rolled down the merry road uh, from that point forward and so person and, and the natural person and the status has been my first uh, curiosity and question from the very beginning is person bad really? Like, what is a person? Rather than, you know, the way it's been taught or perceived by some other people. Why is the system afraid of private person? And when I use private person, there is a correlation to natural person. And we'll get into that more, and it's you covered on the website in great depth. But natural person is synonymous with private person in the common law. And again, we'll get more to that later. Why are they afraid of it if I raise natural person or if I raise natural person where they actually go on the high threat mode because you've done it? And what do the dictionaries really say? A number of people teaching about person and, and natural person, etc. There'll be four definitions and they'll pull one definition out to say, can you see it's this? Well, what about the other three definitions? Because it's context. Everything changes based on context. What is the law of built on? Is it built on the living or the dead? Now, the Roman civil law system is based on dead entities, uh, persons uh, that are corporations, etc., etc. But every entity must be created by the living first. And the common law is about the the living, and the civil law, Roman civil law, is about the dead. And so, in order for you to create those corporations, you need the living person in order to uh, create the dead. So the living must come first and it must continue to exist for the quote-unquote dead to exist, which is kind of funny. And I was thinking about this the other day, uh, a concept I've had in my mind for a while, all these zombie movies, you know, like I think that really it's a, it's a good analogy for most people out there is they are the living dead. 
they exist in a civil law society as dead entities, as far as the system is concerned, legally speaking, but they have an element of life. They have no consciousness or ability to think for themselves. There was a recent new movie that was kind of a, a love story of a, of a zombie who wakes up from the near-dead experience and he becomes living again, and all the zombies start to wake up again. And it, it might be a story about society starting to wake up from the living, dead, civil law system. So effectively, we're only going to talk about common law, and I'm going to abbreviate with the initial CL and Roman civil law as RCL throughout the um, presentation. These are the two main systems that we're dealing with. Um, there are other legal systems out there, but uh, these are the two that we're going to be talking about. And uh, capitus and status. Capitus uh, diminutio is one of the uh, Roman civil law terms with regards to the capitalization of the name. Most people have been introduced to it. Most people have no concept of what it really means. They've only been told uh, one interpretation, half an interpretation. The status issue is uh, key to everything uh, that I do. And this term, this phrase, that people go, it's spelled in all capital letters. This drives me nuts. I've heard people say this for ever, and I hear people saying it today, and I correct everybody at all times whenever I hear them say it. It is not spelling when you talk about capitalization. It is style. Style, style, style. Spelling is which letter you choose, and style is how that letter is represented in a small or a uh, capitalized version. And so whenever you use the wrong phrase to describe something, then the courts and the, and the, the uh, lawyers get uh, gray, gray areas to manipulate their words. I was in court one day and I asked the judge if uh, they could ask the Crown to change the um, style of the name on the information. And uh, the judge turned to the Crown and said, would you be willing to change the spelling of the name on the information? The Crown just kind of smiled and said, no, we're fine with the way it is. And I didn't catch it at the moment, but when I revisited uh, the conversation in the transcript, I looked at it and the judge had changed my request from changing the style to changing the spelling. And that's a totally different request, and it's a totally different issue. So when you use the wrong uh, phrase, definition, word to describe what it is you want, you give them an opportunity to wiggle out of what you're doing. And for a full description of capitus and other issues, do common law courts exist course is on uh, private-person.com website. If they're available free for members, there are many hours of uh, material covering the basic principles of common law courts, do they exist, and how they get you there, and all that sort of stuff. So again, that's where to go for more uh, information and proof on it. The whole idea of I'm not a person comes down to status versus capacity. And many people are confused about the distinction between the two and aren't even aware that there is a distinction. The status is uh, different than capacity. And status is what you are relative to the game. And the Roman civil law defines it as your condition in law, at law. Status really is who you are in the game versus capacity, which is what you can do in the game. Now, when you are given a certain status, you're given certain capacities to uh, do certain things. The status in most cases is defined, or excuse me, the capacities in most cases are defined by the status. Capacity is a derivative of status. Status comes first. You can't play the game without status. And this is uh, going along the lines with um, uh, 
Glenn referred to at the beginning of the intro, was you need to be recognized in the legal system, and that is status. If you're not a player in the game with status, they can't see you, they can't hear you. And I've witnessed this in court in a couple of different uh, uh, ways, that uh, you have to be a person at common law to have your rights upheld. You have Okay, uh, I want to jump in real quick. Now, that he does prove a, a good point right here. You have to be standing in your proper person in order to get these uh, rights through the Constitution. So, J.D., uh, I'm going to let you go ahead and pick up. We had to get the music off. We had a couple of callers saying that the music was a little distracting. So, we're going to let you continue, sir. You have to be a person in the civil law in order to have your rights upheld and and the obligations to kick in, et cetera. You can't play, they can't see you. Uh, anything you do without having status in their game means that you're not there. You either have standing in law or you're an outlaw. You're outside the law. And one of the things I like about talking with uh, other people about this stuff is, um, you know, you get feedback, you get questions, you come up with new ideas and clarifying stories, et cetera. And in conversation with Glenn, he goes, well, yeah, just like, you know, in the, in the old West, you know, the, if somebody, if the, if the outlaws came into town and killed somebody, what would they do? They'd go get a posse to try and get the outlaws to hold them account to the law, and that is the protection that is afforded to you. Well, uh, as my understanding, of status has to do uh, with Roman civil law, though. I mean, uh, it's clear that uh, Roman civil law has uh, status is very important in Roman civil law, but in common law, everybody's sovereign. And so uh, status doesn't mean anything in common law. Right. Absolutely. But what you're, de- you're dealing with the fact that when, because you're coming into their system, which they operate as a Roman civil law system, they have to recognize that you're a status outside of the Roman civil law. So unless you declare your status outside of the Roman civil law, then as far as they're concerned, you're inside it. That's the default. So private person is a status they recognize, and they go, oh, that's outside of Roman civil law. So it is a form of status within uh, within the legal system. All right. Again, we'll get more into that later, but it's a fine line, um, but it's the principle of uh, of the fact that you have to have standing and you have to uh, be recognized by the courts. Another distinction, again, uh, not... Many things that I'll say, especially when you're trying to bring things from memory and put things into words, it's difficult to get the exact word sometimes and you try to express a principle. As I mentioned, the word um, may not be perfect, but the principle being described, sometimes difficult to uh, get clear and everybody's got a different definition of it. So my understanding and the way that I describe this to myself is that all law is fiction. Common law is a fiction, all right? And it, I mean, nowhere is there you know, some law that just there for everybody. It's a set of law, it's a set of agreed to rules. And anytime you have an agreed to set of rules by, by men, you have a fiction because you can change those rules, you can change those understandings, et cetera. And uh, you know, even the law of nature, um, that's pretty well defined because you can observe it, but even there, there's arguments about it, et cetera. And we're not gonna get into the, um, uh, the religious or theological perspective right now, we're just looking at the legal systems that we're dealing with on a daily basis with regards to the common law and the uh, Roman civil law structures at the moment. They're made by man. Therefore, they're changeable. They're flexible. They grow over time. So it's like sitting down to a game, and if the rules are written down on the, you know, the cardboard box inside lid, 
then everybody knows what they are. And what they've done is they've sat us down at a game and we don't know where the rules are. We are assuming the rules a certain way. They've made them, they can change them, especially in Roman civil law, whereas the principles of um, common law are less changeable because they're principle-based. As soon as you codify, write things down uh, to such a degree that it's all in code, now it comes down to interpretations. It comes down to letter of the law stuff versus spirit of the law stuff. That's why the common law is an unwritten um, law because it's the principles that underline right living versus, you know, how do we define this word and in this context and let's all argue about it and make lots of money. The general principle of common law was to create a safe, healthy uh, societal structure that allowed uh, protections for the group and some obligations uh, to, to the group for the purpose of maintaining that self-healthy societal structure. Have we gotten away from that? Absolutely. Can we get back to it? Goodness knows, I don't know. Uh, the Jew rules are generally good as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I've studied the court rules, I've studied the court regulations, they make sense. There's a flow to it. They're dealing with situations that are gonna come up over and over, so you might as well have a set of rules to guide people. And it's complex because you're looking at it as a whole. And if you break it down and look at chunks, you look at ideas and concepts in those rules, you'll find out they make sense almost all the time. Lawyers and crooks twist and break the rules because they're pointing to the letter of the law and they're going, well, what does this mean, et cetera. And they're interpreting and creating arguments that don't need to exist. It's the way it's being manipulated versus the fact that it's there, I think, is the issue. Uh, history of math. I would like to... Hmm? I would like to add in here about these rules <clears throat> is that, uh, in my opinion, they have way too many rules. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a problem with rules per se, but, uh, you know, when they have a thousand pages worth of rules, uh, uh, that's way too many. Uh, it should be short. It should be uh, uh, brief. Uh, and, and I think that that's one of the sources of corruption. They use their rules against you and they deprive you of justice because of their rules. Yes, but um, you, you'll find most of the actual, I'm talking more reference to the court rules, and you'll find that the court rules and the principles of uh, process are relatively straightforward. Um, have they been manipulated? Sure, but the large percentage of them I have found to be reasonable in my jurisdiction anyways. I don't know yeah. about every jurisdiction, but once you get into Roman civil law, then you're into a whole different set of rules and you're holding a whole different set of conditions and, and confusions because that's the nature of Roman civil law. Um, so yes, I agree with you. It's uh, gotten out of hand. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons that they have so many rules is because it is. Absolutely. The more gray areas, the more confusing, the more you need an expert to interpret it, the more power they have and the less power you have. That is absolutely part of the structure for sure. Person is a mask. We've all heard that, right? They create the person, so they own me. These are questions that have been taught to, to people. I'm a human being, not a person. Uh, there's a distinction there, which I think is um, confusing. Uh, the UN Declaration of Human Rights. Everyone is entitled to be recognized as a person. And uh, that is, um, again, there's a principle being expressed there. It's not to force you into something where you're giving up your rights. It's to... Um, uh, allow you to be recognized in a legal system where there are protections when in certain societies where you're you're outside the law, you have no rights and you have no protections. And so again, there's a, there's an element of um, legitimacy to it that's just been turned into something uh, negative. 
1928 persons case uh, where women became persons. This was in Canada. So before 1928, women were not persons in law. Uh, and there was a case where they went to um, the Supreme Court of Canada and they got turned down and said, no, they're not persons in law. And at that time, the highest court was to go to the Privy Council in England and they uh, made a ruling that women were persons in law and then were able to be elected to the Senate. And that was the reason for that particular case. So when you think about the fact the law can change where one day uh, women are not a person and the next day women are a person, has anything really changed with regards to human being? No, nothing. But their ability to step into the game and play in the legal world, if they choose to, has now been open to them. And it's not a recognition of the fact they're not a natural person or a private person or a human being. It's the fact they've been given permission to play in the legal world where they weren't allowed to play before. And that's, a, that's an important distinction to make. Now, this is probably... If you're not watching the screen right now, you really should, because this is probably the most exciting, dramatic, educational moment of this entire presentation. And of course, I'm slightly humorous because I worked on this a few minutes, so watch the entertainment. This for me is a really brief outline of how laws progressed. It went from basically having warrior kings going conquering, wiping out, and enslaving populations and uh, and then their law, what they say is the law. That's how the law was set. And it was, you know, iron fist military control. And then they kind of went off the scene and we ended up with all of these different monarchies and we had the kings and queens and various other things. Uh, and I'm skipping a few, but these are just the big ones. And uh, it became what the king said based on, the king or queen based on divine uh, rule. They were, you know, appointed by the, the divine, by God, in order to make the rules, and they were, you know, unimpeachable. What they said was uh, all good and everything else. And so we've gone through this process of having ruled um, where we have uh, built up society. We come out and we develop through uh, the process of being enslaved from military rulers to being somewhat enslaved in the same way by the um, uh, uh, monarchies. And then common law develops out of that and replaces a lot of the protections and a lot of the processes that the monarchy used to do. And now the monarch was now bound by some of the rules as well. So there's been this progression. The problem is that they also then created all these different other forms of law. The Roman civil law is a carryover from before the common law. Trust law created, admiralty law, etc., and more and more and more laws. And each one of those is a different place in the world. Common law is about the people. It's about principles. And it's, it's grassroots, grassroots movements, uh, uh, underground economies. What, what is the underground? The underground is the earth. Where do the people come from? Our bodies are made up of the elements of the earth and, uh, you know, imbued with the spirit, right? So we have this concept of we can exist at common law on the land. And we can also step into any of these buildings which they have created for us to go and play in, each one of them being a different type of law. Now, some of them we go into willingly. Most of them we go into because we've been deceived into it. We don't realize we're walking off the land and into one of their legal systems. And then we lose the basic principles of our protections and our rights at common law. The idea is not to get sucked into these buildings of confusing rules, regulations, interpretations, gray areas, etc., where they can change the rules anyway, but to stay at common law. That's my personal goal. 
Now, um, this is an interesting dynamic when you think about it. In North America, we all used to be living on the land, farmers, and now everybody's congregated into these cities, and there's very few people left on the land. And what's in the city is lots of high-rise buildings, right? So they've taken us further away from the land and into their artificial worlds and into their artificial uh, fictional games, etc. And we need to get back to the land. We need to get back to common law. And this is a distinction and a difference from the free man on the land concept. That's not what I'm referring to. So enter at your own risk into all of these things. And when somebody invites you into one of them, be very careful and check it out. So here's the person's case, 1929. All right. It was um, in 1929, the Privy Council declared women are indeed persons. Well, again, when you're talking about in the world of law, by the definition of words in the legal dictionaries, they have a unique definition for what a person is. We're not talking about a human being. We're not talking about that. We're talking about legal status, legal standing to play in the world of law. And I've got a good little teaching uh, clip on the uh, website with regards to what dictionaries are, how they work, why you need to understand them, because they act as if the normal and everyday meaning of words is applicable. And then they go and they use one of their legal definitions of it without telling us. So they're playing, again, word magic with regards to that. So know who you are. I've heard this over the years, and a lot of people go, what the heck does that mean, right? Well, this is, again, what I'm talking about with private person, and we'll get into that as to how it all works. A man in common law equals a private person. If you are a man or a woman and you want to exist in the common law and be recognized in the common law, this is how you are now recognized by the system through statutes and through everything else, term they use to describe a man in the legal system with the rights and the duties that attach to that particular status. That's a private person. A private person is a mask for the man because a man doesn't exist and has no standing in the courts. And at law, you have to accept the position in society of, of private person in order to um, have the standing and have the protections and so on. So yes, it is a form of a mask. And it's a small trade-off for the protections as far as I'm concerned. Big question, is private person a creation of statute? No, I haven't been able to find any, any evidence that it's a creation of statute. It exists, it is recognized by the law, it is not created by their legal system. And that's a big difference. And I was just in court on Friday and I heard the judge say that the charter and rights, the, 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 the rights that the, that the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms grants you yada, 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 and my brain's going just a second here. The charter doesn't grant anything. That's not what it's there for. That's not how it works. But that is the sales pitch that the system wants to, you to believe that they have granted you something. And the charter only offers you a vehicle to protect the rights you already have uh, when you want to hold the system to account for infringing your rights. It grants nothing. And uh, that's the distinction between they want you to believe they have created you and then they control you and they have a say in it. And it's the exact reverse. We have created them. Private person is the foundation of all common law. Everything comes from the private person. Without the private person, you can't imbue energy into any of the other creations. You are the power delegating your power down. Every office Every municipal um, uh, official, every provincial official, every federal official, those are offices in law that only exist because private persons have created that office and put people into those offices 
to then take that uh, power. So it's the context. Everything is about context. Uh, you need to understand, are you talking about the real world plain English? Are you talking about the common law principle and uh, legal interpretation of the words and the terms and the conditions? Or are you talking about the civil law version? Or are you talking about the admiralty law version? So people mix a lot of this. And when I hear people quoting maxims, legal maxims, they'll say, well, this maxim is, you know, it's a maxim. It's true. Well, just a second. What type of maxim is it? Is it a commercial maxim? Is it a common law maxim? Is it an equity maxim? Because if you try and bring the, a maxim from a different form of law into the one you want, it's not going to work. It doesn't necessarily bridge the gap. So you have to be very careful of the context. So a private person, and this is a distinction that I made many years ago. I've been teaching for a long time. It's already on the website, but I'm going to cover it very, very quickly. A private person, when they are of full capacity, that means that you have the mental ability to uh, make decisions, etc. There's a certain age that uh, is um, deemed to be of full capacity at different legal systems, usually 18, 19, 21, depending on the jurisdiction. When you're of full capacity, the law deems you to have the ability to demonstrate full knowledge. You understand how the difference between right behavior and wrong behavior, and you can make that decision and uh, you have the mental capacity to do it. You also are deemed to have full responsibility. You're responsible for your actions, which means you can be taken to court, prosecuted, sued, et cetera, for the actions you take. And the court deems you to be liable, which means they're gonna make you pay if you uh, act in a way that causes harm to another person. And this is just based on, uh, there is no case law that I've seen with regards to this, but just plain simple deduction when you get 18, they say, now you're an adult, now you're liable for your own actions and responsible. This is what they mean. They've assumed you've come to a position where you're smart enough, you've got enough life experience, you know right from wrong, and now you're responsible and liable for your actions. Because up until then, your parents are responsible and liable for your actions. At least that's the way it used to be. So can you see how most people may not qualify to be a private person of full capacity? Because they demonstrate they don't understand. They demonstrate irresponsible behavior and they demonstrate unwillingness to take liability. And as soon as you, they can see those actions from you, they, you're inviting the powers that be to protect and control you. Invoke parents patre or um, uh, any other form of control. They're looking for an excuse to point their finger at you and say, you don't understand, you're not responsible, you're not liable, therefore we get to take control of your life, okay? So this is a foundational concept with regards to what capacity is. Your actions speak louder than words and dead paper. In court one day, I walked in and I says, here's an affidavit. I didn't have time to get it notarized. Will you accept my affidavit as if it was sworn? And the judge said, yes, I'll accept your affidavit as sworn because I'm standing there. I don't have to have a piece of paper. I can address it uh, myself. And if he has any questions, I'm right there. The man, the living, will always be superior to the paper. And I've also presented paperwork, and the judge just looks at it and goes, yeah, okay, well, tell me what, what's in it. He wants to know if I understand what's in that document rather than maybe somebody outside the courtroom wrote it for me and I don't understand it. So it's a knowledge test, all right? So uh, they do need to have you express yourself in your own words. The idea of jurisdiction is the first thing in every case. I've just been uh, in court a number of days with regards to a preliminary trial uh, hearing for a tax evasion case. 
and uh, jurisdiction is the number one thing that they have to establish in order to have any type of hearing. And my focus with uh, helping people with court stuff is the very first thing you focus on is jurisdiction. Do they have standing to make the claims they're making? And what is the claim that they're making? Because jurisdiction is the right, a power, or authority, or the law which is speaking to you. They're claiming jurisdiction over you and what you do to bring their claim to court. The judge is claiming jurisdiction to make a decision about the parties before him. Whether or not that's true or not is a secondary issue, but that's generally how they play it. It's primary and foundational for everything. If you get into arguing details, you've admitted they, they have jurisdiction to bring you there and the judge has jurisdiction to hear it. First place to start is do they have jurisdiction to make their claims? So you claim, you question, you claim your status is my position. You question the, the status and other issues that they're bringing to court and you deny consent to be taken to any other court. And I'm gonna give a case example later on where I was in court just a month and a half ago and this is the basic process and I'll describe it to you uh, more fully a little bit later on. But do not consent to anything other than common law jurisdiction. And because they presume it, if you specifically deny it, they might have a problem moving forward and it appears they do. They have the burden of proof, the claiming party has the burden of proof and so you don't have to admit anything. You don't have to provide any evidence. Your entire case could be challenging their standing, again, which is my position. They must prove standing when challenged. If you don't challenge it, it's presumed to be valid, and so it's a really good thing to challenge it. Now, symbols of power are an important thing to recognize because capitus diminutio, uh, in terms of the style of the name, is a symbol of power. The law of flags uh, is important distinction with regards to the jurisdiction. This goes to stationary when they send you a letter. This goes to a, a flag in a courtroom or a coat of arms in a courtroom. They, they are communicating with symbols all the time. Their symbols are telling you where you are and who they are. And if you don't know what their symbols say, what they mean, then you may be you know, participating in something that you don't really want to participate in. All occult sciences use symbols. And occult just means hidden, which means they're not going to disclose it to you. So if you're into their, you know, court of cult stuff, you better understand some of their symbols. And every symbol has a defined meaning and a message. If you don't get the meaning in the message, you may miss what's going on. So there's some very basic stuff to understand with regards to that. And symbols are a language. They're communicating and advertising all the time to those who understand this is who we are. This is what's going on. I've given you notice. And if you didn't object to it, then I guess, uh, you know, I don't have to do anything else. Again, it's trickery, but that's how they play the game. The documents that they use, how they, how they structure them, the courtrooms, the flags, even the websites are advertising. And I'll show you that uh, shortly, uh, who's in control, uh, what law is in place, and so on. So for me, everything really comes down to the real versus the fiction. Uh, and a lot of people are going, I'm a human, I'm a man, I'm real, everything you're doing is a fiction. And they're, they're, they're you know, fighting and running away from they see everything as a fiction without recognizing that there are elements of the court that are real as well. There has to be, because the fiction court has to be built on top of the real court in order for them to exist. So there may just be a real court there that we want to uh, access. A corporation cannot be created without our natural person making the application. And uh, you know that's just, again, if they take an, a natural person status of individual, private person in order to create these things. Common law known as a private person, 
and this is where we get into bidural terminology to create the distinction between natural person and private person. The um, in at Roman civil law, a man is referred to as a natural person. That's what it is in Quebec. That's what it is in international uh, courts uh, in um, in the Hague. They refer to the natural person because they're dealing with legal systems from around the world. The bi-jural means two jurisdictions. And what they've done is they said, we've got common law and we've got civil, civil law. And private person does not exist in Roman civil law. But natural person can exist in common law. So because we're dealing with two different jurisdictions and we have to communicate with both of them, let's use a, for, let's use a term that both systems can use. And Roman civil law is a top-down authority. They make the rules, they write the code, and you obey them. And uh, common law is a people-up authority. The people are the foundational power and the foundational authority. They're giving their power to officers to execute in a trust manner on their behalf. And their failure to do that is where we need to hold them. And here's an, uh, an example of the bidural terminology program from Department of Justice Canada. Now, the phrase here is common law. Now, their problem was we have, we have Quebec, which is uh, civil law, and we have the rest of Canada is common law. We're a federal government that has to write federal laws that have to apply to both jurisdictions. How do we do that with the language that both jurisdictions can understand because it's possible to exist in both jurisdictions? So they've gone through and they've changed words in the acts in order to make them effective in both jurisdictions. So this was with regards to the Federal Real Property Act. They went through every la act and every line looking for problems. The provision, they used to say, real property may be transferred by a private person. The problem is that the terms private person and the French version of it are foreign to civil law, do not exist, is not recognized, which uses the term person physique instead, conveyed in most cases, most cases, not all cases, by natural person in English. Well, like I said, I want to be a private person at common law. I don't want to be a natural person who may be confused with the civil law variety. Although there is a federal interpretation act rule that says if you're at common law, the common law definition of the word is supposed to apply. So I mean they do that. So what they did was they took this provision number five and they rewrote it to, to change the word to natural person from private person. So private person was removed from many of the federal uh, uh, laws in order to make that particular law work legally in both jurisdictions. But I say in most federal laws, not all federal laws. Here's another term, the word person. Common law and civil law, same word. Problem, the term private person used in English version is obsolete. Now this may be confusing to some. What do you mean obsolete? Doesn't exist anymore? Obsolete, look up the definition of obsolete, just means we don't use it anymore, right? Curious thing is that they took the provision, any person, and this provision, private person of full age and capacity, and they changed out anyone with any person, and they changed out private person of full age and capacity with the term person. Now, there's a fairly big shift there because person has multiple meanings and multiple definitions. And there's a big shift between private person of full age and capacity and person. If they're saying here that private person is obsolete, that should mean that it will never be seen again because it's not used. And that's just not true. It's still used in federal 
uh, laws in certain places. Remember the term, most cases, most cases, because they have to use it where it only exists at common law and is not applicable to civil law. So you will find instances still of the use of the term private person, even though this section says it's obsolete. This is uh, the bi-jural terminology record. This is a newer version of it. And uh, one of the ways to look at this, common law, rights, powers, and privileges of a natural person. What's happened is that uh, about six years ago or so, eight, seven years ago or so, the municipalities started giving, the, the provincial provinces started giving municipalities the rights, powers, and privileges of a natural person, which they did not have before. And this has, again, created a lot of confusion for people. How can they be people? They're not people. Well, they're not. They're just being given additional to their described ones in the Act, rights, powers, and privileges of a natural person, because they don't have it to begin with. They have to be given those rights, powers, and privileges by their creator, creator which is the province. But those rights, powers, and privileges are subject to this Act. And many times when people will read something like this, they'll miss this type of phrase here. There's always an if, but. And uh, this is the big uh, if, but. So in civil law, a corporation that has the capacity of natural person, that has. That means some do, some don't. It has to have been given to them by their creator, the, the state that wrote the law, right? The capacity of a natural person has the full enjoyment of its rights, just like a human being. Well, that's the idea here is not that they are human beings, but that they have been given some of the additional rights human beings already have that they did not have at their creation and have to be specifically given as an additional thing. And look at the difference here between civil law and common law. There are different problems in the different laws. In common law, to ensure that a corporation could exercise all those rights, the words uh, wording rights, powers, and privileges of a natural person or wording similar to that must be used. So they created the solution, the harmonized version. And this is for the French. Harmonized version in French is the only one that changed. So you can see they've gone through this, power, this process of clarifying there's a difference between the civil law powers of uh, a corporation and, a, and the common law powers of a corporation, how to define what those additional powers are if you're talking about adding natural person powers. And my interpretation of the natural person powers is the right to hold property, and uh, buy and sell without having to go and get additional legislation passed to allow them to do those things. They can do it whenever they want. Those are the two key powers that I saw. This, this point I'm making here is that I talked about symbols. You have to look for symbols in everything. And you can see on this page here, you have the Canadian flag and the name of the department. And if you go to the actual, they have a symbol guidebook within the government saying, this is how your letterhead should look. This is the color of the flag that it should be. It can't be another color. So they're standardized and how they're supposed to be. And when I first started researching in the late 90s, this Canada word mark used to be at the bottom of the page. It got moved up to the uh, top right here. So it's been migrating up. And there's actually some Canadian government websites that now have Canada in the top left. Law of the flag says this is the authority under which this is being issued. And as soon as you change this, you change the authorities being issued under. This was the um, common law of Canada, possibly. And as soon as they slide this over and replace it, as far as I'm concerned, that's a corporate Canada that would then be issuing it. So this is the page describing uh, this, these uh, bi uh, terminologies. So this is what it looked like in terms of uh, advertising 
the authority it was being issued under. Then this was the new design, fancier, prettier, etc. But there's a fundamental difference here in that they brought this natural looking maple leaf into it. Now, there's a lot of questions about did Canada go into bankruptcy and the U.S. go into bankruptcy and they're now out of bankruptcy or not. If bankruptcy occurred around 1929, nations are supposed to go into bankruptcy for 70 years. That puts you into 1999 is the year that Canada would have come out of bankruptcy. And there's been a number of changes that have occurred to our currency, to the legal system, uh, and a number of other ways that indicate that something changed. And uh, this is, for, as far as I was concerned, was one of the changes. The coat of arms was a major change in 1994. And uh, I'm going to touch on that in a few minutes. But uh, this here is, a, is the same authority is being issued under. But they've added this natural uh, thing here. This is a copyrighted, trademarked, artificial maple leaf. The maple leaves don't look like that. They look like this. So I thought it was interesting when this came in. And that was in around 2011, this one was taken. Well, I've been on government websites recently, and they've now changed again. And take a look at the latest in incarnation of this. You have a black and white bar across the top. A black bar across the top is the black bar across the bottom of the page. You've got reversed white type for the government and the flag. It's not like they got a shortage of ink on the web. All right, this should be a red and white flag. As far as I'm concerned, they're advertising that something has changed legally within uh, the government, and that there's now some type of shadow government, private government, something that is operating in contradistinction to this particular government. And you'll notice this natural maple leaf has now been re replaced by the artificial nine-point maple leaf, or 11-point, depending on how you count it, and you'll find this maple leaf down at the bottom of the page. So like I said, with they're advertising all the time, who's in power, who's in control, what authority. Something has happened at the highest levels with regards to Canada as a nation, as far as I'm concerned, based on the changes to the coat of arms and uh, this type of advertising on the websites. And this is just as of uh, June 2013. Now, a lot of people go private person, haven't heard it before, don't believe it exists, great. All right, this is a search in Canley with regards to the term private person, real easy to do. You just go to this address, canley.com, and it's quotation mark private person. There are 1190 cases using the term private person. 70 legislation documents contain the term private person. And all of Canley has 1200 there. So you can do a search on, on it and uh, open it up and we won't do that now. Uh, and the term natural person, same thing. Put it in quotes, search it. You got 746 times the term natural person is used, used in legislation written into the law. And uh, that's a, just an indication that both terms are still used within the law today. I'm not a person. So which person are you in a bi-dural world? Well, if you do the searches, I think that, and again, what I'm going to do is all this, this uh, presentation is going to be put online. All of these links are going to be part of the page that the presentation is on. So you don't have to write them down or figure them out. You'll be able to check them all tomorrow when the page is up. And uh, there's all, place, all sorts of places where you can confirm that uh, there are two worlds, there are two persons, natural person and private person. You can be either one of them. If you're at common law, it doesn't really matter, but I personally stick to private person because it's specific. And you can choose whether you want that status or you want to uh, step into one of their civil law status. All right? The big case which got me um, really convinced was the, the Russell Perisky case in 99 and 2000, 1999-2000. These are the years that I was in court for my own personal uh, matter. 
exact same charges that Perisky had. And um, I was, his, his trial occurred on the same day that my trial started. And I didn't find out about his trial until nine months or so after and uh, what went on. It's fully explored on the privateperson.com website, uh, and it's a course called Do Common Law Courts Exist? My conclusions from that is that he won because the court recognized him in his status as a natural person, and I walked through step by step by step how that was created, how that uh, occurred with the actual transcripts that we walked through line by line by line, and I, and I give you my interpretation of what, the, what he said that uh, mattered, what the judge said that mattered, and uh, and what went on. Now, many people will read the decision of a transcript and they will uh, look at what a judge says and, and they don't have the context. They didn't hear what happened before court. They didn't hear what happened at the pretrial hearings, etc. Every transcript from the Perisky case, from the very first time it was called in court with an uh, uncertified service of a, of a um, um, a summons, so there was no proof of service, so it got dismissed for every, from the very first time it was ever called to the decision to the court. The transcript is there, and I walked through everything. All right. Now, what happened that was a note was that there was a court order made by the judge at his initial attendance at court, where effectively Russ said, There's a mistake on the summons. The name on the summons is in Capitalist Diminutio Maxima all letters capitalized in the name, the style is all uppercase, and that's incorrect. It should be upper and lowercase, first letter capitalized only. And the judge, after considerable discussion and argument back and forth, Russ said at one point, I'm willing to accept any charge against, against me with the style of the name, first letter capitalized, but I will not consent to anything with this style of name. The judge ultimately acknowledged that he was there in his status as a natural person. Russ continued to press, and the judge made an order that he was a natural person, and he made an order that he was the defendant in that particular case. Now, an order from the judge is not giving him a status. An order from the judge is, I heard your, your argument and your discussion. I listened to what you had to say. I've decided I agree with you, or I've decided I disagree with you. Now move on, no more discussion about it. That's all it is. He's made a decision, this is a decision, move on. So the judge said, fine, you've proved to me your status as a natural person, I recognize that, now move on to the next issue. And uh, he also made, joined him to the charges in that status. Now there's a story which is told in that full, full uh, exploration of that course of what happened in the subsequent hearings leading up to the trial where the Crown tried to trick him into accepting the full uppercase name again. And there was a partner of the local law firm who was the prosecutor at the first hearing who was replaced by an articling student at the next hearing. There's a clue there. When you got a lawyer who slips out because something has happened he can't participate in, like I said, that's a clue. Anyways, day of trial comes, they show up at court, and they say, oh, gee, uh, all the courtrooms are full here in Abbotsford, but we have a spare courtroom down in Chilliwack. Would you mind going 20 miles down the road to Chilliwack? We have a courtroom all ready for you there. And they've got 20 or 30 you know, people who come along to observe and stuff like that. And they end up heading off down to Chilliwack, or excuse me, down to Abbotsford. Again, the whole story, all the details are, are with the course. Now, when they show up at this courthouse, 
they see a Canadian flag flying on the roof line of that particular courtroom, not the courthouse, that particular courtroom. That one courtroom has a roof line that extends above the courthouse roof line. And there was a Canadian flag attached to the uh, corner of that roof line. And then when they walk into the court, there's no benches, no witness box, uh, no court clerk's bench, etc. It's flat tables and chairs, and uh, they proceed to have their uh, what I consider to be a mock trial. My interpretation is that they had to move jurisdictions from Chilliwack, which is a federally incorporated city, to a provincially incorporated city prior to a certain year uh, where they have Abbotsford Police. It's a different jurisdiction. Common law jurisdiction court exists in that jurisdiction. They had to clear out all the court paraphernalia and actually have flat tables and chairs. You've heard of having a level playing field. That's what common law is, a level playing field. They had the trial up to the point of the Crown closing their case. And then without him opening his mouth, the Crown uh, or the judge argued with the Crown that they hadn't proven their case. The Crown successfully argued that particular point. The judge went away, came back, and argued different point. And the Crown, as far as I'm concerned, successfully argued that point as well. I agreed with the Crown's position. But the judge disagreed, acquitted Russ without him saying anything in his own defense or raising any issues whatsoever, and um, then the Crown did not appeal the acquittal. That's a quick overview of it. As far as I'm concerned, it's a very clear case. I dissect everything in the course, and there's lots more information there for you if you want the details of it. And uh, I've studied that in light of all of my personal experiences in court, watching judges react to natural person, how they've changed their tactics over the years, how CRA, our IRS up here, uh, has reacted to uh, the term private person over the years, them modifying in order to try and stay in a lawful way. So my conclusions with regards to that is that there was a one issue, one fact, one outcome. He made his status claim on natural person. The judge made an order recognizing that and an order buying all the other judges that come after him to recognize that that is the state of things and they can't change that. An order can be only be overturned by going to a higher court and having that appealed. So once that order was made the first time, each judge thereafter was bound to recognize it and deal with that case as a natural person. And I believe that there's a technical disconnect between a natural person being charged with a statute case and the uh, common law man who is before the court. It just can't happen. But they had to allow the case to play out as if it really didn't make any difference. He hadn't won anything. And then they have this fake trial and they get a decision out of it and then people forget about it. And it's lost in time and it becomes, you know, one of those urban legends that this actually happened. And I didn't want that to happen. So I researched it, collected all the evidence I could. Uh, there's a video of Russ giving a walk around tour of the court uh, and, uh, and showing, you know, talking about it and stuff like that. So I wanted it to be recorded so people could continue to research it in the future. Because ultimately, fiction must yield to truth. And the truth is that the natural person can't be charged with these statute offenses. And when the natural person is recognized or the private person is recognized, that that is the status they have and that it's been the, the, the private person that has been charged, the system now has to self-correct and find a way to get that person out of the court, either by staying the charges, withdrawing the charges, 
finding a technical out somewhere along the line or having a mock trial all the way to the point of getting the judge to acquit him. I find it personally unbelievable that they went to that point because as far as I'm concerned, it exposed the game. But uh, they did, and we have that record, and I'm promoting the existence of that record <laughs> so people are, um, are aware of it. Now, some people ask, well, what happened to Russ because he was subsequently charged about four years ago, I guess, five years ago, somewhere around there, with tax evasion. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, Russ, from my understanding, because I didn't get uh, the full personal story with this, but my understanding is that he accepted the status of taxpayer and wanted to go into their system and win with taxpayer arguments, which for me, it's just crazy, but uh, that's uh, the general position he took. He did try some status stuff partway through, which appeared to have some effects, but uh, ultimately it wasn't properly set up. They were in the wrong court, in the wrong status, and uh, he was convicted uh, at, that particular, at that particular instance. So he dealt with it entirely differently than he did the first time. And he never wanted to understand. I was talking to him, him about this for years, walk, going through it, walking him through it. He didn't want to know about this. He didn't want to know anything about court process. When he started his uh, tax evasion trial, he hired lawyers. And he left it entirely in their hands after trying to educate them about his interpretation. Not the way to go, I don't believe. So um, uh, this is uh, Russ's information from the, uh, from the first trial in 99-2000. And you can see the uh, highlighted red areas. You've got the coat of arms of British Columbia, which is not the official coat of arms of British Columbia. It is a, um, a look-alike, but if you compare it to the official coat of arms, it is a, only a look-alike, made to appear similar, and as far as I'm concerned, deceptively so. Uh, and it's a full caps British Columbia. They make it look upper and lower case, but it is actually full caps. Canada is in full uppercase. Province of British Columbia is in full uppercase. Those are different jurisdictional indications using capitus. And there's a distinction with capitus. Many times I've been in court and judges say, well, capitalization doesn't mean anything. Well, they're half right. It doesn't mean anything when they have a private person there. Because capitus diminutium is, a, as a legal principle, concept only exists in Roman civil law. So when you're dealing with a private person, capitalization is irrelevant. It is. But when they're playing in the Roman civil law world and they're trying to get you into the Roman civil law world, capitalization means everything. Because that's, when they look at this paperwork, as you see here, the principles are the same in every Commonwealth country. This is the same game everywhere. When you see the capitalization here, they are advertising to you. I am taking you into the artificial Canada. I'm taking you into the province of British Columbia, the artificial one. Do you have anything to say about this? They are advertising the authority and the jurisdiction, and it's up to you to raise it. That's my interpretation of it. And you'll see here with account one uh, and count two and other counts, his uh, name was changed in by handwriting by the judge to upper and lower case from the full upper case, went from maxima to minima. And they are still playing this game, except when I walked into court and challenged the name, Russ walked into court and challenged the name, other people walked in and challenged the style of the name, they started correcting their paperwork. Summons started coming in minima within a year or so. Uh, the information started to be in media, which is the last name fully capitalized only. So they have modified the procedures as we pointed them out. 
but they have still defaulted to the maxima name or the media name uh, with all of their information. And they will fight you and argue with you, threaten you, intimidate you if you raise it as an issue because they don't want to change it because they lose the ability to play their game, in my opinion, if they change it to the minima name. And I have another case I'll be addressing shortly with regards to that. Those two issues, the jurisdictional issue with regards to capital, full cap Canada and province of British Columbia, and the style of the name uh, are everything advertising who they're bringing to court, who they want in court, and uh, jurisdiction. Now, this is a transcript. Uh, by the way, Russ never ordered his transcripts. One of the guys, uh, one of my fellow researchers that asked me, has Russ ever ordered his transcripts? I said, no. And uh, so he went and he ordered them. He ordered every single transcript from the first time it was called in court. And all the transcripts came in one batch at one time. And uh, so one order and every transcript came with it. This is why you see multiple dates here. And this is the style of the name that they have on the um, information. Excuse me, this is the, um, you see that in the Provincial Court of British Columbia is in full uppercase. You'll also notice that there's a square box around it. Law of boxing says anything in the box doesn't exist on the page. So that's something to consider might be in play here. The name uh, Regina, I believe, is the fiction name for uh, the crown. Because when you're dealing at common law, it's Her Majesty in right of uh, British Columbia or in right of Canada. Uh, and then, of course, his name in full uppercase. Now, this is a transcript. This is less descriptive than the information, which is a charging document for the uh, court. It's the charging document, the information that the court is proceeding on, which is the most important document for the style to be represented correctly on. So if it's incorrect on here, it's less of an issue. But this was the transcript of his actual trial. This is the transcript of the hearing. Look at the style of the province of British Columbia. But when it came to them transcribing, transcribing the actual trial, they changed the style of the name Provincial Court of British Columbia, and they added the word Canada to it. Now, this is very interesting to me. And it went from a box to a rounded corner box. Again, I don't know if that means anything, but just noticing differences. Now, if you order, if you order transcripts and you're getting transcript one through nine all at the same time, you would think that all of the cover pages would be the same especially since they're all being transcribed by the exact same transcription company. But the trial transcript reflects a different style of type, different type style for the name of the court and for Canada. And the word Canada did not exist on the first transcripts, all right? So why have they added Canada and why have they changed it to this old English? Well, I just happen to have a book on language and old English and as far as I understand, this is the representation of common law when they use old English lettering. So watch for old English lettering. They're advertising to you a common law matter. And you'll see this in various places. The other consideration is when you put them side by side, right, you go, hey, there's a big difference. One is an upper and lower case and one is full caps. Gee, you think there's a difference? Plus you got the old English in there. Plus you've got the word Canada, it's not a word. It is actually letters spaced out. C space, A space, N space. That's not a word. That's a collection of letters that you are fully entitled to look at and go, there's a word. But in fact, it's just a collection of letters. So, you know, interesting distinction to make and to look for. 
Are they advertising? What are they advertising? I'm not quite sure, but I have my, uh, my opinions about it, okay? So as you can see, that there are subtle advertisements, and that's what I refer to them as, where they are, who they are, what they're doing, who they're dealing with. And uh, it's your job to be very careful watching them. And when I talk to people about their paperwork and I go over their paperwork, I say, did you notice? Notice the capitalization of the province of British Columbia. Oh, no, I didn't. I, why don't I look? We're not used to looking for it. So it's just a matter of uh, reminding yourself to look at it. Now, there is an Ontario case that went on in 2013. Um, there's a question here, what if the judge gets all mean and uh, if you argue type thing? Well, yes, if they get all mean, that means you hit the nail on the head and they want you to get off of it. And this is part of what I'm going to address right now, is they are not just threatening people, not just getting intimidated, intimidating, they are actually um, putting people in jail in British Columbia and uh, in Ontario who raise this particular issue. And it's the way that they're doing it which again, exposes the game and what they're doing. So there's an Ontario case where a gentleman showed up, challenged the name that was on it, and he was arrested for failing to appear while, while he was in court attending. Now there's a difference between appearing in court and attending. The summons actually says, in Her Majesty's name, you are commanded to attend court. And then when you get to court, they want you to appear for the name on the information. And that's a transition from the real to the fiction. That's a transition from the private person attending court to becoming liable for the artificial person that's on the information. Um, so the, he, he attended court, he's standing in court, he's addressing the matter when it was called, so he's fulfilling the requirements of attending. They had him physically removed from the courtroom. And then the Crown comes back in, calls the matter again, and then uh, has an arrest warrant issued for him failing to attend court. That particular case, he was facing tax evasion and multiple years in jail. They, uh, and he's only one of many across Canada who have had an arrest warrant issued for them in spite of the fact they attended court in compliance with the summons and uh, the court failed to recognize them because they did not agree to appear for the artificial name on the information. They raised the issue of the name, the style, the name of the person, the status of the person, and the courts roll along and they either issue the warrant, even with the person standing there, send them off to jail, or ask the Crown if they want a warrant, and the judge and the Crown says, yes, we do, and the judge issues it. Um, so he's one of many in multiple jurisdictions, multiple prosecutors in different jurisdictions, multiple judges. And uh, he complained by having a uh, constitutional complaint that his rights are violated with it, and everything changed. They were not willing to negotiate with him at all. And uh, then as soon as they filed the constitutional complaint with regards to the uh, occurrences, uh, with regards to the arrest and the improper behavior of the prosecutor, all of a sudden, let's negotiate. And they negotiated down four years in prison, down to six months of house arrest, uh, minimal, minimal fines, et cetera, in order not to have the matter or the um, uh, constitutional complaint actually heard. It was filed but it was not proceeded with. Now, an interesting thing about the way the system works is they had a lawyer uh, uh, dealing with the matter, negotiating with the prosecution. So they uh, agree to this plea deal. And uh, when they come to the day of trial, they inform the judge 
we have come to a, a, a plea arrangement and they've agreed to play guilt, pre guilty and we need to stand down or discuss it. And the two lawyers and the judge go off into the back room, forget this, 45 minutes, and they come back out. What do you think they discussed for 45 minutes? What I believe they discussed is the prosecutor said to the judge, look, this guy's supposed to get four years. Everybody else is getting four years. But they filed this complaint, and it highlights a lot of improprieties within our system. And if we don't give them uh, this minimal slap on the wrist, house arrest situation, then, then they're going to proceed with their complaint and expose all this stuff that's going on that shouldn't be going on. And I would assume that the judge agreed to it because they come back out and the judge says, gee, everybody else is getting a lot more penalty. Why are you asking for so little in this case? And then the lawyer does a song and dance as to, well, they've done this, they've done that, they've done the other thing. Therefore, we think it's appropriate that this minimal sentence is, is, is fair. And uh, that's what they did is they uh, agreed to, the, the judge agreed to the minimal sentence in order to make their constitutional complaint uh, disappear from the court system. And uh, we're dealing with a number of people who are going to be raising this issue over the near future, hopefully, because they've all been arrested in a similar manner. Prosecutors and judges definitely work together. It's clearer in some cases than others, and some judges uh, are not involved. I have been in front of judges who are honorable people. They're dealing with, it, dealing with it as a law issue and just doing procedures they're taught. But many of them are actively participating in it. So they negotiated a plea for a greatly reduced penalty. I think they could have uh, eliminated the charges entirely, but they decided not to take that risk and uh, took the plea bargain, which is fine. Everybody's going to decide what's best for them. So there's a Kelowna case where the accused went into court the very first time, challenged the style of the name. The judge is preoccupied, says, I got family I want to get home to, so sure, I don't care, <laughs> effectively. Changes the style of the information from, uh, from media, last name all caps, to minima. They go away, they come back again uh, a few months later, and the Crown enters an amended information. And they have changed the name on it to media again, without any awareness. From anybody, the Crown just enters the C2 with the uh, second information with this media name on it, back to media. And then a few months later, the Crown changes it back to minima on their own again. I believe it's because they got called on it behind the scenes that you can't change that because the judge changed it, made an order to that effect, and therefore you changing it back to media is improper, so you got to fix it, put it back to minima, which is what they did. The Crown varied it and corrected it back again. And the judge's subsequently communicated to this individual via letter with directions and instructions, which I've never had or seen communications uh, from a judge to a lay litigant before, getting assistance. And has actually, he's actually warned the Crown uh, with regards to some situations. Again, um, doing what he's supposed to do when he has a private person in there, their job is to protect the private person. And that is part of your status of private person in the system. That's what it gives you is the courts are there to protect you and ensure your rights aren't being violated. And when you get that status recognized, behind the scenes, they act to protect you. You don't have to do anything after that. And that's what uh, I saw in Russ's initial trial. That's what I've seen in this case, and that's what I've seen in a few other. There's a recent Vancouver case where the name style began with the minima style on the information. It's the very first information I've ever seen 
where the name on the information of the accused was actually in minima to begin with, all names, upper and lower case. So the issue became at the uh, arraignment hearing, which they were really pushing for, was, well, I, the name can't be argued because the style's correct. So let's talk about Canada and province of British Columbia. And province, Canada and province of British Columbia on the information is in full uppercase. The summons is in minima, uh, first letter capitalized. And if you actually go to the criminal code and look at the form that the information is in the criminal code, it's a prescribed form, which means it is the form they have to use uh, without modifying. The form in the criminal code indicates minima, first letter capitalized for Canada and province of British Columbia. So the issue is raised with the judge that Canada and province of British Columbia on the information are incorrect. It's a different, it indicates a different jurisdiction. And that different jurisdiction, what the Crown is trying to do is revenue the individual from common law into some other jurisdiction. I don't know what the other jurisdiction is. I don't care what other jurisdiction is. It's just, I ain't going there because I'm staying in common law. So the arraignment challenged at that particular time being revenued out of common law. The judge then made an offer after uh, this all occurred to personally negotiate with the individual a settlement between between uh, it's a tax evasion charge uh, between the tax uh, uh, between the prosecutor and uh, and the individual. I've never seen nor heard of a judge making an offer to personally negotiate with an individual um, at any point in time. Never mind uh, at that stage of proceedings. And the revenue issue is being applied in other cases that are presently before the court. So there's going to be more progress on that in the future and understanding of that. But my belief is that they advertised they were taking the individual from common law into another jurisdiction. They pointed it out. They said, that's what I believe that means. I do not consent to that. And, and I believe that uh, it's improper to do so. And the individual said, I cannot consent to, um, what was the phrase? Um, cannot consent to being revenued. Um, I don't remember the, the exact phrase that was used, but uh, the whole idea changed the dynamics at the end with the judge making an offer to the individual to, uh, to settle the matter. And again, unheard of with regards to a federal crown prosecution in provincial court on a tax evasion charge. Uh, interesting. So it's all a game. Learn the rules of the game and your role in the game. And that, for me, is private person at common law, and I'm sticking to it. Be honorable in your actions. Don't be threatening. Don't be, uh, you know, abusive or anything else. It's not necessary. You stay in honor. Uh, they go into dishonor. They lose. There's uh, uh, an entire course on um, uh, privateperson.com about communicating uh, honorably. Complaining about rule breakers. One of your obligations at common law is to report lawbreakers. That's part of your job. It's not just to keep the peace yourself. It's to participate in the keeping the peace by reporting and being a witness against somebody who steals something, harms an individual or property, etc. That's part of our responsibility to keep the peace, is to report peace breakers, whether it's a, it's a physical or it's other type of abuse that goes on. And when anybody's not obeying the law, that's not keeping the peace. It's our job to report it. And we haven't been fulfilling our obligation to report uh, these uh, improper actions and hold uh, the lawyers and the judges and civil servants and police officers and whoever else to account. So you need to understand your action before you act, before you act. 
I got into trouble, painted a, uh, a bullseye on my back way back in the early days by sending a letter that somebody else had written uh, uh, refusing to pay GST because that was their understanding at the time. And that just, you know, down the rabbit hole I went. Um, I didn't fully understand it. I used somebody else's understanding and I paid the price for it uh, in many ways. Um, seek confirmation of the rules. Confirmation by watching what people do, seeing the reactions, interpreting the reactions. Um, I sit in court. I, I have literally hundreds of hours of sitting in courts watching judges and, um, and then a couple hundred hours of my own time in the well of the court. I watch how a judge reacts to a question. I watch how the, a witness reacts to a question. I, I watch how the court reacts. Um, last time I was in court and used private person, both the judge and the, uh, or the, the first time in my most, most recent visits, both the judge and the um, court clerk threw their arms up in the air and made a bunch of noise as soon as I raised the issue of private person. And whenever you got them doing that, uh, you know uh, the game is up and they're getting nervous. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's confirmation. That's not scaring me off the point. That's telling me I'm on the point. So one of the interpretations with the game is everybody is uh, some type of vessel on the sea of commerce, et cetera. Well, there's a lot of different ways to interpret that. One way potentially interpret it is spiritual being having a human experience. I'm playing the game of you know having a human experience. One way they might interpret it is that the spirit is the man, quote unquote. The body is, you know, part of the earth. And when you combine the two, you've incorporated the two. It's now a corporation. It's now a vessel. And they're trying to claim jurisdiction over that vessel, possibly. There's lots. There's some philosophical. There's some uh, a whole bunch of different ways of looking at it. And um, there's some ideas out there with regards to uh, registering your vessel through the motor vehicle branch. Um, and uh, and all that, how they do it. I don't know all how they do it. I don't know how they play all of the game. Uh, I'm interested in uh, staying in common law, and I don't have to understand all the other games they play. So my goal is to get that recognized. Commonwealth countries are common law. All the stuff I'm talking about uh, should be 100% applicable in any common law venue. Your pro the proper notice to you and your consent is required. Most of their game is structured around the fact that they have given you notice. You just don't see that notice. You don't understand that notice. And they give the impression or they make the assumption, presumption, you have given your consent. As soon as you notify them, you haven't gotten proper notice. And as soon as you notify them, you don't give them consent. They have lost all legal authority to proceed and move you to another venue. And that's the trick, is not get scared off of those two things. Each country, interesting, each country that's a common law, common law country has one state that is a Roman civil law state. There's uh, Quebec in, in Canada. There's Louisiana in the um, United States. And uh, there's one Roman civil law state in the uh, United Kingdom, I recently found out. I don't remember which one it is. But think about it. If you want to take over a common law country, wedge in civil law and then allow Roman civil law to gradually take over all of the processes and all the procedures and all the people's attitudes and ideas of how things should work. I have asked lawyers from day one, do you know what a natural person is? Not one of them has given me a proper and correct answer that you, anybody could read out of a dictionary. And uh, they're not trained in it. I've had one guy say, well, it sounds familiar. I heard it in, I think, first year law, but they never talked about it after that. These people are not trained 
in natural person and, and private person until a certain point in their education. And if they know about it, they're gone from the court as soon as you raise it because now they're liable because they're participating in the fraud with knowledge. So they seek your consent to impose um, non-common law, anything else. Like again, I don't care what, what else they want to take me to. You begin at common law. You walk in the door at common law and you move yourself to Roman civil law by allowing them to move you there. One fellow went in, made his claim of status. The judge uh, it issued the arrest warrant for the named party. A sheriff came up and grabbed him and took him out the back door. And the question is, how did the sheriff know he was the named party? And why is he being arrested if he's standing there? But they bring him back into the court a couple hours later. The first thing the judge says to him is, have you learned your lesson yet? That's the clue. What lesson is that I'm supposed to learn, judge? Just roll over and accept the name on the information? Not use the term natural person? You don't want me to use it? I mean, what is it? And uh, this is the game they're now playing. We will arrest you to try and get you off that particular point. And I believe there's ways to avoid that, uh, that particular process. Um, as a matter of fact, I know there is. And it's usually when people uh, are trying it out, don't quite know how to address it properly, or they get a real jerk of a judge, um, which is entirely possible. But again, there's ways to hold them to account, I believe. But it is a little bit of a crapshoot, absolutely. So where are you then? Admiralty, Royal, uh, Roman civil law, trust, marshal, who cares? It's all irrelevant. Equity may factor into it. I don't care what game they've created. I don't care what fiction world they've created. I don't care what they call it. I don't care what their rules are. I don't care how many times they change those rules. If I'm not stepping into that building, it, none of it applies to me. The only thing that matters to me is that I believe I have rights of common law and protections of common law, and that's where I'm staying. It hurts my brain to even think about all that other stuff. I've studied the trust stuff. I've studied the admiralty stuff and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, it's interesting to a point to know how they play it. It's important to know how they get you into it. Yes. But do I need to figure it out and would beat them at that particular game? It's their game, their rules. They change the rules. They interpret the rules however they want. Why would I ever want to go there? So uh, my strategy is just sticking to common law and getting recognized there. It's fiction that they control and it's not fair. And uh, so if they control it, their bat, their ball, their game, uh, I don't want to play. It's safe, safer and easier not to leave common law. And when you claim the status of private person, you have declared that you're in and at common law and nothing else. There's a little bit more you could do. I would proactively uh, declare that you don't consent to anything other than common law. And you don't consent to being taken to any other uh, you know, venue, right? So you exist in common law as a private person and potentially as a natural person as well. That should be recognized as well, and it has been, all right? You have protections at that level of law. So as far as I'm concerned, retain them. Now, people go, yeah, well, you know, I got duties if I'm a private person. You know, they, they, they make, can make me do things. Well, if you read the Capitus Diminutio definition, it's a minimum loss of status. You do give up some freedom. You want to become within the law to say, I'm willing to play by certain rules, just basic rules, and uh, you know, be respectful, etc. So you move from being outside the law to being in law by giving up that status. And the duties that now attach to you is do no harm or threat of harm to people or property. And I like that one, and I want that one to be enforced for me. Because when somebody comes into town, when those outlaws come into town and uh, you know, hurt me or take my stuff, the sheriff goes out and tries to catch them and get my stuff back and then also take them to court and prosecute them so they don't come do it again. 
That's the protection of common law. The law will go out and try and eliminate the outlaws from coming and hurting you. Um, and uh, that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. Golden rule, if you live by the golden rule and you don't do any head of harm or threat of harm, hey, it's all good. Keep the peace and report peacemakers. We have not been reporting the peacebreakers. The lawyers and judges, which is a self-regulated uh, forum, they don't have any outside regulations, uh, needs to be reined back in and they need to be reported. If you disagree with what a judge has done, how he has behaved in the courtroom, he's yelled at you, he's intimidated you, he's threatened you, make a complaint to the judicial counsel that uh, you can make a complaint to. Uh, you can't complain about their decision to the judicial counsel, but you can complain about their behavior. Have it evidenced by transcript, have it evidenced by witness, and uh, they get a black mark on their record, they get enough of those, they got a problem. Same thing with a lawyer. If we're not complaining on the record, then we have given them permission to do it to us again and again and to do it to everybody else. We can't be afraid of these people. We need to use the complaint processes properly. And again, I have a course on your complaint is their restraint um, on, on, the, um, on the website. So your minimum loss of status um, is your rights. Your privacy, property, and contract protection. The courts are there to, to mitigate these things to be a neutral referee in these things for you. And you get the protection of the arm of the law. You get access to the courts. And the law will enforce your judgments uh, to a certain degree anyways, um, with regards to uh, the complaints that you bring at this level of law. Now, um, you need the standing to seek the remedy, which is, uh, again, to my mind, private person is the standing at common law to access that. Now, how they're winning right now is you don't know who you are in law. You don't know which status. People are saying, I don't want to play at all. I want to be a human being. I want a man. You can't have me at all. Well, they don't recognize that. They've got a, they got a level of law that they're going to drag you into, and it's going to be their game unless you uh, choose common law, in my opinion. You don't know the game. You don't know how court works. I mean, what's the chance that you're winning? You don't know the rules. What's the chance that you're winning? It's, it's all stacked against you. You don't know how to communicate in an honorable fashion, asking questions and basically binding them by the questions you ask and uh, um, and the things the minimal things that you do claim you don't need to claim very much and you shouldn't claim very much you don't know how where or when to complain and we need to know we need to learn how when and where to complain which means making a legal complaint uh, as well as making a uh, ethical complaint to any associations these people are a part of and uh, this system behind the scenes will at some point kick in and start holding these people to account. Uh, again, I've seen that work and I'm seeing it work more now. You believe you have no power because we've all been taught to be disempowered. So again, none of us stand a chance in this is the state, this is the state of things when I started court for me. And it's been a long road <laughs> and I don't have the answers to all of it. And I don't know all of this stuff, but I, I know enough of it to uh, stay out of as much as possible. <laughs> So how you in is know who you are in law and which law. I'm a private person in common law. That's it. And uh, um, know that that you know the control games in common law and Roman civil law. Uh, how to control them with common law, how they might try and control you with Roman civil law. You need to know what the tricks and traps are. But again, there's not a lot. It's just principle-based stuff. Know the basic rules. Know how to communicate honorably. How, where, when to complain. And I uh, know you have the power in common law, so stay there. Again, that's my conclusion, that's my interpretation, and that's what I'm doing. 
uh, encourage you to investigate that more fully. Some people think we live in a pr prison planet. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly, because they're doing all these things. They're dumbing us down. They're keeping us in fear and afraid of authority. They're making us sick with food, chemicals, drugs. They're keeping us sick by practicing medicine. Not all medicine is bad, but uh, you know, a lot of it out there is. Keep a high stress rate in, in our daily lives. It all you know, adds to it. Convincing everybody we're powerless and that all power and answers are outside of ourselves. This is the major control system that's in place right now, and we need to reverse it. There's a lot of this going on literally across the world from all levels. We're now seeing the fiction games for what they are. We got to end the fear, the stinking thinking, and the question authority and question authority as a result of that. Eat clean food, no chemicals, no drugs. Use caution with modern medicine. Reduce stress, and know that you're powerful and use your power for good. Be a witness. The most powerful thing we can do is be a witness for people when they go to court, and then by filing complaints as witnesses when these people are not acting properly. A judge's duty on the bench is to maintain the decorum in the courtroom not enter the fray, not raise the emotion of the courtroom. And if they are yelling, screaming, uh, uh, interfering in any way, threatening you, they have broken their ethical behavior boundaries. And your complaint evidence uh, will cause them a serious problem. Your objection in the moment and describing exactly what they did so that there's a written record of what you saw, experienced, and felt will stop them from doing, you, stop them from doing it at the time and give you the evidence to make a complaint with very, very powerful to be a witness and make a record of it. We want proof. Everybody wants proof. I want to see a case law that says this stuff. Well, guess what? You're not going to get it. They're not going to put it in black and white on the record. You're going to have to uh, interpret actions. You're going to have to interpret the way that things are stated. You have to interpret the fact that they don't follow through with cases, etc. Can you lose and still win? Well, yeah, there's people who have uh, admitted to very minor things in order to end the bigger issues and it allows them to get off the hook and you get on with your life. And, you know, if you've done a good job of causing the problems, they may not bother you again. They leave you alone and set up the mask last minute. Uh, if you if you cause them enough problems, they will leave you alone. And the way they will prove that you're right is they will settle with you on the courthouse steps and uh, and not allow it to get to court. Or like in Fritzy's case, they'll have an entire fake trial. I mean, it was done the first day, yet they had to play it out, try and bring him back in, never succeeded, and then they had to have that fake trial for, uh, for it to proceed from there. They're all puzzle pieces that paint a picture. So <clears throat> proper notice is key. Consent is key. Threats and intimidation is the tools that they use. They, they have given you notice. You just haven't seen it in the way that you think you should. They imply consent, and they use threats and intimidation. It's the appearance of consent that's all they need in order to proceed. Don't give it to them. Make it clear there is no appearance of consent. You're the power, the real. They are the fiction. Do you know your power really? And that's the point of this presentation is to try and show you the power you have as a private person in common law. I believe there is a rule of law, and they are guided by it. Uh, they, they seem to break it all the time. I agree. It's getting worse right now, but the more public it becomes that they are breaking it, the more obvious it becomes, the more people complain about it. That is the only thing that's going to hold them accountable to it. They will obey it when pushed to it. We need to push them to obey it, not through violence, but through proper complaint processes and legal challenges and uh, lawsuits against the individual um, instigators of it. The appearance of justice most of the time is what they offer, not real justice. 
Justice exists when the power, the real, speaks to them with authority. Only the private person can speak to the court with real authority that they have to listen to. And uh, that's, I think, the best chance for justice. And justice will come when they fear exposure. They're getting more and more exposure that what they're doing and how they're doing it is wrong. That's what I'm doing, many other people are doing all across the world. The exposure is happening and we need to step it up. And justice will continue if we are vigilant after the fact. We can't just go back to sleep after we get them learning to do things properly again. Uh, there has to be ongoing vigilance with regards to it. So the principles of all of this is that there are two parallel systems. Both work. The common law system still exists. It still functions. But they don't want you to use it, and it's waiting for anybody who triggers it. Everything they do is presumption only. You question the presumptions. They maintain power by intimidation. They will self-correct when pushed to do so. You have always had the power to stand up. You must object and evidence the complaint. These are the things that uh, can you need to understand at a principle level. If you understand these principles, if you come to the point of believing these principles, and I'm not saying you have to, but your research needs to uh, be done in order to convince yourself, um, there's a chance. Now, having said that, the principles are what's basically uh, your your best defense on all aspects of court, aspects of uh, living private versus public. So if you have these basic principles down, you are um, completely comfortable with what you're saying and what you're representing. Uh, then you can go back and we can get the power because only when we all understand the concept of private versus uh, public and only when we understand that we have rights and we can, we have to speak up for them because no one is going to give us rights in a courtroom. First and foremost, they have led us to believe that they are superior in the courts when in all actuality they are public servants to us. Once we become in our proper person, once we're operating passivity, then we understand that we control the legalese or the all caps entity that's represented as you. So the principles, the policies, the procedures, everything that we're speaking about and everything uh, that JD spoke about and the uh, UB Freedom Team, um, powerful information. It might be a little uh, much for some, but some of you who are listening live, as well as is going to hear this show later, you can download this show. You can listen to it again and again and again at blogtalkradio.com. But the easiest method is to go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash uh, Wealth Principles 101, and you can actually download the MP3. Listen to it. Let it sit and marinate. Um, get your pens and papers out. Understand the process. Understand how to become a private uh, status, to get a private status, and then your life will change. You have to keep studying. You have to get involved. You have Once you wake up, you can't go back to sheep. 
And I said sheep with a S H E E P. You can't go back to sheep, y'all. So this information was an impromptu overview of the power of private person. So we're going to get into more of this. Uh, I might have another broadcast in a day or so just to reiterate some of this. Uh, if you subscribe or you follow me on blogtalkradio.com, you'll get a notification. So peace to the guys, man. It's hump day. I love y'all. Y'all be safe.